SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Bertrand Tungandami ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Coming up in your program this Friday, the 2nd of February, the New South Wales Coroner's Court has delivered its findings on the death in custody of Aboriginal man Timothy Ghana, prompting families and legal advocates to demand change and criticising a failure by Australian state and federal government to put into action the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Indigenous Deaths in Custody. Also in the program today, we have a conversation with Liz Kupch, who has just been appointed Director of Indigenous Education for Area Flex Schools, Flexi Schools. As you'll hear, Liz has big goals for Indigenous education. She says her number one priority is teaching educators how to embed First Nations cultures and knowledges into their curriculums. Also in the program today, we look at a recently signed devolution agreement between the Canadian government and the Indigenous Territory of Nunavut. The deal gives the people of Nunavut control of their lands, including the right to collect mineral royalties that would otherwise go to the national government. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after week, our weekly news wrap. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. This bulletin, a man and woman have died after being struck by a freight train in Sydney's north. Australians hoping for interest cuts, rate cut as inflation eases. And in sport, Lewis Hamilton to join Ferrari for the 2025 Formula One season. Two people have died after being struck by a freight train in Sydney's north this morning. Emergency services responded to to Berora train station around midnight today after receiving reports a man and woman had been hit. New South Wales police say a man in his 20s was assisting a woman in her 30s to get off the tracks when they were both struck. Paramedics attending to the pair, but they were pronounced dead at the scene. They have not been formally identified. The circumstances of the incident are still being investigated. The Education Minister says most Australians would like to see interest rates fall. When the central bank meets next week for its first monetary policy meeting of the year, 
Minister Jason Clare was responding to a question on Seventh Sunrise on whether it was appropriate for the Labour Premiers of Queensland, Victoria and Western Australia to demand a rate cut ahead of the Reserve Bank of Australia, and announce, Australia announcing its decision on Tuesday the 6th of February. Well, I think all Aussies want to see interest rates go down. Ultimately, it's a matter for the RBA, though. Uh, And to get the RBA to cut interest rates, we've got to get inflation down. And that's happening. We got good news about that this week. We've seen inflation cut by about half over the last 12 months. In in monthly terms, inflation's dropped from 8.4 to 3.4 in 12 months. So that's good. You know, if you can get inflation down, then we'll see interest rates go down. Uh, We know there's a lot of Aussies that are doing it tough and would like to see their interest rates go down. Earlier this week, hopes that rates will soon fall were fund by Australian Bureau of Statistics data showing a new inflation eased to 4.1% in the December quarter, down from 5.4% in the September quarter. The Australian government has announced the imposition of targeted sanctions on five entities directly linked to the Myanmar military regime. Foreign Minister Penny Wong says this decision comes as a response to the regime's persistent repression of the people of Myanmar, escalating violence and the overall deterioration of the political, humanitarian and security situation in the country. The two banks facilitating the regime's activities, Myanmar Foreign Trade Bank and Myanmar Investment and Commercial Bank, will face targeted financial sanctions. Additionally, three entities responsible for supplying jet fuel to the Myanmar military, Asia Sun Group, Asia Sun Trading Company Limited and Cargo Link Petroleum Logistics Company Limited, will also be subject to similar financial restrictions. Extropical cyclone Kirili is not going away anytime soon with more heavy rains set to inundate Queensland's northwest. The system is even a very low chance of re-intensifying into a cyclone again in the Gulf of Carpentaria. Ex-Kirili is near Mount Isa and is set to drift towards Gulf Country days after first impacting the coast near Townsville. The Bureau of Meteorology says the system may move into the Gulf but traded it a less than 5% chance of forming into a cyclone again. It's more likely to drift back south by this Friday and moves through western Queensland, bringing heavy rain. A severe weather warning is current for the northwestern Gulf Country, with six hourly falls between 90 millimeters and 150 millimeters likely. The United Nations has rejected calls from Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to shut down the main aid provider to Palestinians in Gaza. Mr. Netanyahu told a group of ambassadors to the United Nations that Hamas has infiltrated the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, or UNRWA, following Israel's claims that 12 of their employees participated in Hamas's 7 October attacks. Those allegations prompted several countries, including Australia, to freeze funding to the agency, which fired nine of the workers ahead of an investigation. UNRWA says the agency, which employs 13,000 workers in Gaza, should not be punished for the alleged actions of a dozen employees. Jan Egeland, former head of the UN Humanitarian Agency and current Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, says defunding UNRWA would be catastrophic for Palestinians. Defunding UNRWA is, means a collapse of humanitarian work among Palestinian women and children in their hour of greatest need when they are un, under this relentless, indiscriminate bombardment.
and when there is so little capacity for humanitarian relief. Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the better-than-expected news on inflation is evidence the government's revised position on stage 3 tax cuts is correct. The latest data shows consumer prices rose just 0.6% in the final quarter of 2023, the smallest quarterly rise since the first quarter of 2021. The annual inflation rate is now 4.1% when it had been expected to be at 4.3%. In comparison, at the end of the third quarter of 2023, it was 5.4%. The lower inflation rate raises the chances of quicker interest rate cuts. Mr. Chalmers says the inflation figures show his government's policies are working for ordinary Australians and should be followed with regard to tax cuts as well. It is really clear now, really beyond doubt, that Labor's cost of living plan is helping, our responsible economic management is helping as well, and because of those things and because we understand the pressures that people are still under, the tax cut from 1 July uh, will be uh, another way uh, that we support the workers and families, the women and young people, the steel workers and early educators of this country. United States President Joe Biden says he has made a decision on how to respond to the drone attack in Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers, but has refused to provide more details. An Iran-backed militia group has claimed responsibility for the attack at a U.S. military base. Mr. Biden has been weighing his options, and the expectation is that there will be retaliatory strikes, but the timing of the response has been unclear. Speaking to reporters as he left the White House on a campaign trip to Florida, he said he holds Iran responsible for supplying the weapons used in the attack. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission says there is significant work to be done to improve childcare costs and access. The ACCC's final report from the Childcare Inquiry, released earlier this week on Monday, January 29, found subsidies generally lowered out-of-pocket costs across income groups. But fees across all services have grown faster than inflation and wages since the childcare subsidy was introduced. ACCC Chair Gina Carr-Scottlieb says many Australians are struggling to afford the cost of childcare. We have seen that the most disadvantaged and vulnerable members of our community, including low-income families and First Nations families, are not able to access affordable childcare that meets their needs. A leading human rights organization has said that under no circumstances should a Russian band critical of Russia's war in Ukraine be deported from Thailand to Russia. The Baitu rock band members were arrested on Thursday on the southern resort island of Phuket after playing a concert allegedly for not having the proper working papers. Under no circumstances uh, should this band be sent back to Russia. It's quite clear that the uh, government uh, of Russia uh, has uh, identified them as a uh, provocateur, as a group of people who are uh, anti-Kremlin, and we expect that they would uh, take severe action against them if they can get their hands on them. And that was the Asia Deputy Director of Human Rights Watch, Phil Robertson, when he was questioned why this particular band had to be arrested and deported to Russia. 
And in Formula One, seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton is reportedly planning to make a surprise switch to Ferrari for the 2025 Formula One season. Local media in the UK and Italy are reporting the Italian team wants the 39-year-old to partner their current driver, Charles Leclerc. They suggest Mercedes team staff were called to a meeting at their UK headquarters to be told Hamilton would leave at the end of the 2024 season and head to one of Formula One's most storied names. And that's all for our weekly news wrap for NITV News on this Friday, the 2nd of February. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm Bertrand Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, we have a conversation with uh, Liz uh, Kopsch, who has just been appointed Director of Indigenous Education for Area of Flexible Schools. As you'll hear, Liz has big goals for Flexis and for First Nations education more broadly. Also on NITV Radio this Friday afternoon, we look at a recently signed devolution agreement between the Canadian government and the Indigenous Territory of Nunavut. The deal gives the people of Nunavut control of their lands, including the right to collect mineral royalties that would otherwise go to the national government. But first, the New South Wales Coroner's Court has delivered its findings on the death in custody of Aboriginal man Timothy Ghana. Mr. Ghana was taken off a waiting list for, mental health, for a mental health bed less than a week before he died by suicide at Silverwater Correctional Facility in July 2018. The coronial inquest has found fault with mental health assessments in the lead-up to his death, which his family say could have been avoided with appropriate care and better safety measures in cells. Dakanang man Timothy Ghana died while he was being held at Sydney's Silverwater Centre on July the 7th, 2018. In the week before he died, a psychiatrist recommended the 30-year-old father of two, who had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, be transferred to a mental health facility. But five days before he took his own life in his cell, he was removed from a wait list for a mental health bed after his condition was deemed to have improved. Speaking yesterday, outside a coronial inquest into his death, his mother, Michelle Ghana, said her son had been let down by the system. He had so much life left to live. Tim's death could have been avoided if he'd received the appropriate health care. He'd still be with us today. I don't want what happened to Tim swept under the carpet. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Mr. Ghana was on remand after being charged with robbery and possession of a prohibited drug three months earlier. The inquest, which had evidence in 2023, focused on the decision made by Silverwater's Risk Intervention Team, or RIT, to clear his mental health assessment. Delivering his findings, Deputy State Coroner Derek Lee said it would have been more appropriate for Mr. Ghana to remain under the team's management and the time taken for Mr. Ghana to be reviewed by psychiatrists in May and June of 2018 did not conform with the defined time frames. Mr. Lee found in the five-day period before his death, Mr. Ghana was not reviewed adequately, that he was in fact not reviewed at all. 
The coroner also noted a failure by prison staff to communicate with Mr. Ghana's family as his mother described outside the court. The last time I saw Tim alive, I told prison staff he needed to see a doctor, he needed to be medicated, but I wasn't kept informed about my son's condition. Me and my partner kept calling Silverwater, begging them to help him, but no one ever returned our calls. The findings of the inquest in Timothy Garner's death comes after the release of statistics this week, exactly on Monday the 29th of January, which show Indigenous deaths in police custody nationwide have doubled since 2007. Families and legal advocates are now demanding change, criticising a failure by Australian state and federal governments to put into action the recommendations of the landmark 1991 Royal Commission into Indigenous Deaths in Custody. Ashley Bucket is an Associate Legal Director at the National Justice Project, which has represented the families of other Indigenous people who have died in custody. She says with 500 deaths in custody since 1991, but only a handful of prosecutions, the failure to implement the Commission's findings may need to go to the international legal stage. For over 30 years, the Australian government has had the Royal Commission findings, um, and it's had the benefit of findings from further inquests into deaths in custody. It really does have the guidelines and the recommendations that needs to create change. I think the question is, now, do they have the will? The original recommendations included removing hanging points from the cells of inmates with a history of self-harm, for which Coronet Lee has now given a deadline of until the end of 2024 in New South Wales. Emma Parker, coronial and trial advocate at the Aboriginal Legal Service, which represented Mr. Garner's mother at the inquest, say they also want to see more humane cells for inmates on RIT management programs. The Darcy cells for those on the routine um, that Tim was placed um, in were very limited, effectively concrete mattress on the ground and unfortunately not not much else um, in which you've got people who are struggling with their mental health. Obviously diversionary tactics are important for their therapeutic treatment. The inquest also raised concerns about the level of mental health training received by those who work in corrective services on, on risk intervention teams, with the coroner recognising the need for refresher training. The Protectivity Commission figures show Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were also overrepresented in deaths from suicide and causes of death, including drug overdose, injury or homicide. Paying tribute to her son outside the court, Michelle Garner said better mental health training and support in prisons is a matter of common sense for all prisoners. Prisons are full of people with mental illnesses. They need to access psychiatrists. They need to be treated. There needs to be a much better support for prisoners at risk of suicide or self-harm. That was Michelle Garner, the mother of Timothy Garner, who died in custody in July 2018, ending that report produced by Penny Buckley for SBS News. We must now step aside for a break. When we come back, conversation with Area Flexi Schools inaugural director, Indigenous Education. Stay tuned. I'm joined by uh, Liz Koops, inaugural director of First Nations at Area Flexi Schools. Welcome to NITV Radio, Liz. Thanks for having me on. You're coming into this role 
with an outstanding track record of uh, leadership roles in education and uh, government organizations and non-government organizations. Your achievements are so impressive, I can't go through them, but can you tell us about yourself in a few words just to give a sense of who you're talking to uh, to our listeners? Cool. Yeah, so, well, first and foremost, I'm, I'm one Yiganga leader on my father's side and I'm Wanga Madla on my mum's side. So that's my First Nations heritage. I am a humble First Nations, but absolutely proud of my people and what they have brought to the, not just Australia, but to the world. A gift to have thrived for 65,000 plus years um, from a strength-based Indigenous knowledge is an untapped, untapped strength that um, we really, really need to be paying attention to. So I have a deep and personal experience of what being um, Aboriginal means, you know, as a First Nations woman who has, you know, come from the country. I'm a country girl. I am all about authenticity. I'm about honesty. I'm about truth-telling. I'm resilient. I'm tough. I've got, uh, I'm one of seven children, um, six brothers. I'm the only girl, so I'm pretty tough, bred tough. <laughs> I'm... Um, Social justice aligned. Probably uh, in my autopsy, they'll uh, you know do an autopsy and they'll find that I've got a stainless steel core spine, which says social justice on it. I'm not frightened to do the work. I'm you know I love to have conversations that um, can challenge people's thinking, um, the status quo or what has been accepted, um, but do that in a in a in a safe way. Which all comes around about by you know education. I want to educate people and have those challenging conversations to get to the part where we all have better knowledge around who we are as a nation. That's probably a couple of words about who I am and uh, what I come from and you know my path forward. Now, upon your appointment, you said that uh, your number one priority is teaching our educators how to embed First Nations cultures and knowledges into their curriculums. Can you elaborate on this wider priority? Right, so it's an absolute priority that we need to have an informed, um, you know, nation. Uh, if we look back at, you know, my personal feeling about the referendum is um, that the results were because, you know, it's highlighting highlighting that we need to have uh, all, of, all of our Australians do an education to build their knowledge and understanding of who First Nations people are. The result to me just shows that we've got a lot of work to do as educators. So we have the curriculum, which is kind of an output of education, right? But we need to go further back than that. Um, if you look at the uh, us as teachers in the classroom, we are a product of a system that did not educate us about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures throughout their more formal education. It's a question that would, I do a lot of professional development. And um, it's a question that I would constantly ask, um, you know, and give, ask people, you know, think of the percentage of um, when you, all, across all of your formal education from, you know, preschool all the way up through to university. And I want you to really reflect on how much of that time um, was spent on First Nations histories and cultures being educated in that. And, um, you know, people, you know, I'd kind of do a backwards auction and I'd say, put your hand up when I get to your number. Start at 100 and go backwards. And usually, um, you know, I'd get down around about 15 and people would start putting their hands up, 15% of their total education. So usually about um, the average was about 5%, you know, over all the times I've done that with the professional development. So what it's showing us is that 
you know, teachers have to, t- if you're teaching the curriculum, you have to have built up your knowledge and understanding of what you're teaching. If you're coming from a system where you did not learn it in all your formal education, then, then what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we learned how to do math, we learned how to do English, science. We, we learned all that stuff because we had a formal education, but there was no formal education about um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures. There's a stuff that's being embedded now, but it's, it's, you know, very, very limited. So how do we expect our educators to do it? My experience with educators are they want to do it, they have all the good intentions to do it, but they don't know how to do it. So we have to come together and have ongoing deep conversations that really challenge the status quo that challenge and this goes to people's unconscious bias as well there's a lot of different perspectives and you need to be able to critically self-reflect so what do you know about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples is that first is that your um, personal experience is it something you read or it's some, is it something that you've heard down the line what's your personal experience do you have you know conversations with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people all the time in your community like how are you building up your knowledge and education so if you're not pretty much if you're not married into the mob and you, you don't have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in your social circles how are you getting this not how are you building your knowledge and understanding because the expectation is is that you know we want to teach it and absolutely we want to teach it because we don't want to repeat what happened in the referendum or if Black Lives Matter or things like that that come up we don't have People in our community saying, "Well, that's got nothing to do with First Nations people." When it when it does, it um, unfortunately shows that we need we need much more work in this space. And if our teachers are doing it, our teachers need to be. We need to go back and you know start educating or start having those deeper conversations with our educators. So then they then they can start to filter that through our education system. So yeah, we need to go back to come forward. Yeah, and I thought you've defined uh, the priority and uh, really, really stressed how important it is to actually bring Indigenous cultures in the classrooms, in the curriculum. How will you tackle this uh, priority? Because it's also a challenge. It's not an easy thing. No, no, <laughs> it, it is a challenge. For me, um, the, very, the very first thing we have to do is we need to get to the critical self-reflection part with um, each each and every one of us. So if we look at uh, First Nations people are only, three, I think we're 3.3% of the population right now. So we can't transform um, education for our First Nations students um, so they can get better life outcomes by ourselves. 3% is an impossible task. So we need our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters, the 97% of Australia, to, to come and walk along with us. Now, the great thing about the referendum, that shows me that 40% of our population, that's 40%, which is much, you know, bigger than 3% First Nations representation. So what we need to do is ask people to critically reflect on, um, well, what what do you know? What do you know about First Nations people? What Why do you think that? Let's get um, to the bottom of what your education has told you. So that what do you, you know, if we, if we start with, one part of it's actually building knowledge, for example, and I'm actually some want to stipulate that we wouldn't be talking about secret and sacred business. You know, um, that's to be taught by First Nations people. We're not asking educators to teach any secret and sacred knowledge. That's not the ask at all. But there's a whole lot of information, knowledge, and understanding that can be taught um, and uh, dealt with 
on a on a critical self a critical basis by every person. For example, well, why don't we talk about the um, hundred years of resilience, the frontier wars, um, or our amazing warriors, uh, or the history of activism. We've got some amazing activists in this country. I was uh, privileged to meet a. Um, a man, a Tucker man named Victor Stephenson, who uh, does fire, fire management across the country. He gets invited into communities to teach about fire cool burning and um, the benefits to our environment, like our astronomers, um, our STEM specialists. So we need to be using a positive, strength-based approach and really having high expectations and high expectations relationships with our students. So unpacking... Um, that unconscious bias that might historically sometimes has come across as, oh, if, you know, First Nations kids aren't coming to school, then, um, you know, they don't want to go to education. I mean, that's, that's, that's a bit of a blank, a bit of a broom statement there. But <clears throat> what we want to do is get to those understandings or misunderstandings about First Nations students mm-hmm. and their, you know, their ability and their intelligence. Look at it in a with a strength-based approach. Look at all the things that they bring instead of looking at deficit, which is historically, you know, we have always looked at the country have, has always kind of framed it in a negative deficit model. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make a really good sense. And uh, just as a side note, because we're doing having this conversation right after the nomination of uh, Australians of the Year, and uh, the senior Australian of the Year happens to be an Indigenous teacher, Yalma Yunupingu. Just a, a quick reflection on this. Um, yeah, I mean that's amazing. I mean that name has a lot of a lot of very important people. The last name, the surname, Yunupingu. Um, yeah. That's an amazing bloodline uh, there, and it's like makes us really, really proud that growing your growing your um, your educators are there. What you know in your communities, we've got some really tall trees in the communities um, who are taking care of their communities, who are educating their communities, who are continuing continuing to pass on that knowledge. And um, I guess it's not really she has been recognised um, in the Western system, but sometimes the Western system doesn't recognize that for example teachers you know like in the remote communities it's really hard to get teachers to stay in those communities for those kids so if we've always got um you know again historically we've got teachers who are not coming from those communities they go into those communities and sometimes it's uh they're in there for a couple of years you know two or three years uh you know sometimes they stay but most of the times they they go and then you'll get a new you know a lot of teachers there's a few programs that um i've been aware of across my teaching journey where one of them was ratet up in queensland up far north queensland is where you grow you're growing your own so you've got your educators there and you're kind of partner with universities where um your community stay in their stay in their community get their education, do their work in their schools and then come away for block release. So it's like a bit more of a different um, model. Yeah. So it's really kind of looking at what, what the strength is. That's looking at strength. That's a strength-based approach right there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. growing your own in that community instead of kind of having people that are coming in and out. And, of course, the community know that these people aren't staying. You know, you get a lot that come in and then you get used to those guys and then they go... So the um, it, that's not a good model, um, and I know that we've got that model. Kind of is 
all over the country and, and, and I'm making it sound really simple and I know it's not that simple. I know it is complex, but that's something um, that I feel, you know, a lot of money should be put towards, keeping our people, you know, grow, grow your own from the community. You've worked in this field for many years in the Stronger, Smarter Institute and you're also known as a, a champion for STEM education for Indigenous women. I first kind of came face-to-face with that when I started working for CSIRO in an Indigenous STEM project and um, the element, it was six elements in that project and we were one of them and our element was called Inquiry for Indigenous Science Students which is all about looking at science through an Indigenous lens and looking at it with strength base and that's how actually I first met that person named Victor Stephenson, yeah. <laughs> the Tuckaluck man. What we're saying is um, we can teach we can teach science um, or STEM subjects through Indigenous knowledges. So one of our, what we did was what with the team and that was led by Joe Sambono. He was my boss at that time and um, his background um, is in science so he's an Aboriginal man who's got that science qualification as well and it's all, um, part of his passion throughout his life is to, you know, have an Indigenous lens on all, all science. So he was my boss and we um, developed, our team developed 10 inquiries that had an Indigenous focus that was for all students. That's the other key thing too is that all this knowledge is for all Australians and that that's, goes back to my, um, the thing I was saying uh, at the beginning in, in the second question is, we need to, everybody needs to be educated and through that education everyone gets an appreciation for First Nations people and the strengths that they bring. So yeah, with that science uh, program we did 10 inquiries through science um, which is really looking at the Indigenous knowledges, uh, the experts, we'd bring traditional um, Indigenous knowledge experts and we'd bring um, teachers and the, um, them together and then, you know, we, we would have magic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. is marrying those two together and looking at, wow, this is fantastic. And not only is it Indigenous knowledge, it's that knowledge is um, that's Australian knowledge. It's about this country and this land and um, how First Nations, you know, worked with the land. Before I let you go, any closing thoughts or something we may have missed that you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? Oh, I think that we need, it needs to be shared accountability and shared responsibility. I think for too long it's been this binary, you know, like Aboriginal traditional people and non-Indigenous people. Um, we're all Australians, you know, like this is all of our knowledge. We're, you know, First Nations are the oldest continuous living culture on the planet. It seems crazy that we're not, um, you know, that we're not tapping into that, not just for Australia and our national identity, for the world. I mean, this knowledge that's been here in 65,000 plus years. That's so relevant today when we're looking at our environment and how we live in our environment. There are better ways to do things and why aren't we listening? Why aren't we tapping into that knowledge? It seems it seems crazy. Liz Kupch, congratulations on your appointment and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on ITV Radio today. Thank you very much for having me. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
uh, that conversation with uh, Liz Coops, inaugural area flexi schools director in the Indian education, will be published on our website sbs.com.au/nitvradio later this afternoon. We must now go to a break. When we come back, we we'll look at a landmark agreement between uh, the Canadian government and a Canadian Indigenous community which will give to this vast nations group more control of their lands and resources stay tuned you're with NITV radio Welcome back. Now, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has signed a devolution agreement with the Indigenous Territory of uh, Nunavut. The deal gives the people of uh, Nunavut control of their lands including the right to collect mineral royalties that would otherwise go to the national government. As a result of the deal, 2 million square kilometers of land and water have been transferred from Canada's government to the government of the Indigenous Territory of uh, Nunavut. It's the largest land transfer in the history of Canada. Nunavut Premier Paulosi Jelmisi Akikog says the transfer marks the historic return of decision-making power to the people of uh, Nunavut. Uh, what a historic moment we were just able to, to achieve. I am humbled to, to be here to be able to um, get the, the historic signing of the devolution agreement. It has been uh, many years in the making uh, with many of the leaders who had that vision of decision-making coming a lot closer to home. And today marks a new beginning where Nunavut will make decisions for Nunavut. And what a historic moment. Nunavut, which has a population of around 40,000 people and comprises most of Canada's Arctic archipelago, officially became a territory in 1999. The devolution agreement signed in recent days gives Nunavut full control of its lands and its resources, which includes gold, diamonds and rare earth minerals as well as oil and gas. It also grants the territory the right to collect royalties from these resources as well as the ability to amend land and resource management legislation. The territory's former Senator Dennis Patterson says it's a, it's a significant moment for the Nunavut territory, especially the territorial government and its people. I actually think it's an act of decolonization because the remote colonial administration in Ottawa, maybe well-intentioned though they've been, uh, have been running our affairs uh, without us having uh, control. The territory's rich resource deposits have gained increased attention in recent years as climate change continues to make the Arctic Territory more accessible for mining and shipping. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the transfer in resource ownership makes possible a stronger and more empowered future for the territory and its traditional owners. Uh, but the people who live on this land, the Inuit, have uh, lived here and created prosperity and culture and communities and a future for themselves from time immemorial. It's also around sovereignty and it's around people's right uh, to self-determination and building a better future for themselves in uh, a complicated world. Talks of a devolution agreement for Nunavut started almost a decade ago. Mr. Patterson says the decision finally brings Nunavut in line with the kind of authority granted to Canada's two other territories, Yukon and the Northwest Territories, which respectively signed similar agreements in 2003 and 2013. It's giving Nunavut province-like authority that the two other territories 
already won in 2003 and 2013 in Nunavut, in Yukon and NWT. Mr. Trudeau says the official term devolution does little to communicate the significance of this transfer and control, which officially begins on the 1st of April. We have hunted and fished and lived on these lands for generations, some going back well before recorded history. Today begins a new chapter in the history of Nunavut, a transformative chapter. Now, the formal process, formal name for this process is devolution, but in many ways it's more of an evolution. That was Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau ending this report produced by Angelica Waite and Manaz Anguri for SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. As we edge closer towards the end of today's program, I'd like to invite you to follow us on our social media platforms, especially on Facebook. Also invite you to check our website, sps.com.au slash NITV radio. As we continually update this platform with new content, some of which actually never make it on radio. It's exclusive to this site. And this brings us to the end of today's program. NITV Radio will be back on Friday, on Monday and Wednesday as well as Friday next week with more news and uh, stories from uh, right across uh, the country. I am Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for your company this Friday afternoon and wishing you an excellent and safe weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu.